Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello and welcome to The Word Podcast. Once again, it's half past six in the evening. Uh, the day's work is done and it's time to go in the back room and... It's almost certainly time to hear this sound. Oh, oh, oh God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, oh no, I, you can get it dry clean. Jim, I'll, I'll do it. Jim, sorry. Jim, sorry. new again? trousers, yeah, listeners. Dave's new trousers. These, oh, oh I'm, I'm so sorry. It must be getting a bit warm. I must have oh, shaken it up. I didn't do that deliberately. Anyway, where were we? Things could regain be a, your composure. Things could be a bit tense. Tonight, He's David Hepworth in a bad mood, and I'm Mark Allen who owes him money. So there and, we are. Uh, and this <laughs> is the Word Podcast, and uh, coming to you on a weekly basis. You can find out more about it at wordmagazine.co.uk, or you can go on iTunes and uh, look it up. Just search on Word, and you'll, you'll find it there, and you subscribe for free and for nothing. Listeners, no so pets gratis and for you? free. Yeah, why wouldn't you? And uh, I bit this happened ages ago, but uh, you and I haven't had yet the Neil Aspinall conversation, have we? No, we haven't. Which no. is what I wanted to have because I know he's a favourite subject of yours and of mine, isn't he? So explain to people who Neil Aspinall is. Well, I've just got a great affection for him, really. I mean, he was originally the roadie. Of the Beatles, wasn't he? Yeah. I think there were two. There was Neil Aspinall and a guy called Mal Evans. Who joined later. Who joined later, actually. And uh, Aspinall, I'm pretty sure, was at school with jo- George and John. I don't know. Am I right? But anyway, he's 19 met- and he was trained to be an accountant. He when was. they said to him, do you, want to, do you want to drive the bus? Do you basically want to drive the bus? I think he used to drive the van to Hamburg and stuff, and certainly around the early gigs. And uh, <clears throat> finished up as uh, the bigger the Beatles got, the more they wanted to kind of protect themselves and stuck back to the people that, you know, the only people they could really trust were people they'd known before they became the Beatles. And uh, uh, inside the Citadel, they decided to, uh, to install Neil, who went from being the roadie ultimately to being, I'm pretty sure, the managing director or CEO well, of Apple. He ran, he ran Apple, Apple. Cool. Yeah. for, um, well, the, the story is that he started working for them in 1961. And he only ceased working for them a few weeks ago, in 2007. So that's 46 
Yes. <laughs> Which is, I don't know, find me another... Do you think they gave an alarm clock with his initials incredible? Find me another employee anywhere in the country. No, yeah. seriously, you know what I mean? In, in the Job banks or in, high. The, in any of the public utilities or anywhere who stayed in a job that long. The same and you job. can just imagine Mrs. Aspinall. I want you to imagine Mrs. Aspinall, his mum, okay? He comes home one night from his accountancy classes. It's 1961. Yeah. He's earning £2.10 a week, right? And he says, tell what, Mum, I've jacked him my job. Yeah. I'm going to... What are you going to do? I'm going to drive... Do you, know those, do you know those Beatles? Not those Beatles! Those long-haired, scruffy, good-for-nothing louts. <laughs> and she said... Guitar bands are never going to get anywhere. You have record given so. up. You have given up, you know, a, a reliable career with a pension... To go off with those flybenites and privileges. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing, isn't no, it? It's 46 years later, yeah. he walks out, presumably, with a significant pension of some kind, you know. And, and, and I believe the company's done quite well on the interim, mostly. <laughs> In fact, interesting, interesting pop fact is that the idea for the anthology series was Neil's. Do you remember those? Well, I'm sure you yeah, do. Three, right. do three, I remember? Do you remember? Sorry. Do you remember, Dave, back in the 90s, yeah. the Beatles put out a, a succession of three triple albums, the double albums, and they were number ones in America. They were, they, those were double albums at full price, which basically consisted of outtakes. They had terrific albums of Strawberry Fields Forever, etc. And they made uh, an absolute fortune out of that. They really deserved to. And also, set those were his idea. One. Number one was his idea, I'm pretty sure. Subsequently copied by a lot of other people. Now, do you, have you followed the extraordinary story that Paul DeNoyer used to take us in a, in a back corner and when he was sure that nobody was listening and he would tell us the story of uh, Neil Aspinall's love child? Uh, Are you going to tell the story? I'm going to tell the story okay. because I've looked into it far enough to know that this is now public domain. This has been published absolutely all over the world. Oh, planet. right, OK, I'll relax a bit then. But so yeah, relax. Tell the story because it's so, fascinating. So Neil Aspinall, you know, 1961, is a lodger at the home of Pete Best, the Beatles' original drummer, Absolutely and right. his mother, Mona, right, who used to provide rehearsal facilities That's for right. the young group and so forth. And uh, Neil Aspinall clearly got into a rather closer relationship with his landlady than most people would. Yeah. Okay? Mostly it's just, I'll, I'll wash up tomorrow and I'll put sixpence in the meter. But no. Not Neil. <laughs> Neil said, I'll tuck you in. <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, this is like rigs being rising <laughs> down. <laughs> and he eventually got so close to his landlady. Yep. That, that she had some news for him, didn't she? She became with child. Yeah. And so, now, I, I, th- I think we ought to call upon the services of Pete Frame to do a special family oh, yeah. to draw up how Neil Aspinall is related to the rest of the Beatles. How they are related. Because to he the is the father of the half-brother... Of the original, of the original drummer. drummer, Pete Best. And this is absolutely uh, true. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this guy is, you know, well, what is he? He's been in his 40s now or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And uh, this is apparently, everybody's been whispering this around Liverpool for absolutely years until the whispers eventually, <laughs> until eventually so loud. stood on, you know, rooftops and stuff. And no, shout. It was in Cynthia Lennon's yeah. books. It was, you know, it's been absolutely all over the place. But I do find it absolutely amazing that it further cements the relationship. And, you, and, and as time goes by, you do see the Beatles more and more as being like something, I don't know, like a foresight saga or or the Borgias or something. Yeah. It's not a band. It's a massive great extended family. Oh, it's a family. huge dynasty. Which is why I wanted to draw your attention to... Did you see the announcement about Julian Lennon recently? I've not seen this. No. OK, so Julian Lennon, how old, Mark? Uh, he must be... Well, he was born in 
So, well, let's work this out. Well, he's he born 40? in 64, wasn't he, I think? So he's 40. Yeah, so. 43, I'd say. Okay. And uh, when John dies, he, he puts out a few records that do quite well for a while, but not that well. And, uh, and then that career eventually fades. He has recently done a deal with an American publishing company, a music publishing company, to, um, well, they've clearly given him a lot of money to have the rights to what he's inherited of his father's catalogue. So a share of Lennon and McCartney has now gone to this company, who've paid him a lot of money. And he said in the announcement, I felt the time was right to bring in a partner to help me manage my inheritance and also my own career. Please note the second bit, and also my own career. So these guys are also putting out you know, that, that commodity for which the yeah. market is waiting with bated breath, a new Julian Lennon record. <laughs> well, you, no. Don't, no, look, don't look at me Mark, like I'm cynical. No. Julian Lennon's cynical. I'm not cynical. No, I don't. Right? And he's, you know, he's taking the money from these people who, who now get some kind of rake-off every time, you know, come together on a, I don't know, on a, on a carpet vacuuming ad or God knows Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and meanwhile, Julian Lennon goes and puts his own records out as well. And apparently these people are the people that Courtney Love did a deal with over her share, which is the lion's share, of the Nirvana catalogue. And I'm saying this is fascinating because this is a historical moment. What you're seeing is that the catalogues of, of the great copyrights that came out of the 60s, 70s and the 80s are starting to pass to another generation. Because these guys are not going to live forever. Yeah? And, and you know, when they wrote these songs in 1965-66, if somebody had said to them, do you think people will still be interested in these in ten years' time? They'd say, no. No, well, they all said the <laughs> Beatles themselves. Know, the the idea that not only would they be interested in them when they were 70, but there'd be somebody who interested in them when they were long under the sod. Yeah? yeah? And, that, and do you think it's likely that your grandchildren... Might have We'd like to have a percentage of it. Might like to have a percentage yeah. of a yellow submarine yeah. in the year, you know, 2040. Yeah. Unimaginable. Well, it's absolutely unimaginable. But it's true. But don't you remember that interview with the, with the, with the Beatles in 1964, a television interview, where Ringo is asked how it's going. He says, it's going, it's going very well. So he said, what, what, what's your ambition? He said, well, hopefully make a few quid and then open a, a, a boutique. I think. Was no, like he said a couple himself. of hairdressers. Sorry, a couple of hairdressers. A couple of hairdressers. hairdressers. Because so, his know, girlfriend was a hairdresser. Yeah, and he thought, well, you know, clearly this isn't going to last forever. We had, we've had a bit of luck. You know, rock and roll, why should it, why should it carry on? But know? now, you see, this is fascinating. It, it's going to shift over. And so I have no inside track on this at all. But what's happening with Apple and with Neil Aspinall leaving and so forth must be somebody gearing up to say, what's going to happen to this stuff when these guys are dead? You know what I mean? Because these are immensely valuable copyrights and they're in private hands. Find me any, any other immensely valuable copyrights that are in private hands. They aren't. Well, no, they're Tolkien, not because... Harry Potter, all those oh, things. Absolutely. They're all owned by big companies. Yeah, and, and um, you know, historically with music, I mean, things go out of copyright don't they, after 50 years or whatever. And well, it's, incredible years, compilations it's of, death plus 50 years in, 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 terms of, um, in terms of writing the song. They're trying to. This is why there's been this whole business of them trying to extend it in in the copyright in recordings. You know, Cliff Richards been getting up rather oh, yeah. implausibly saying, 
think next year I lose the rights to Living Doll. Is everyone else supposed to go, oh, Cliff, that's a bloody shame. I suppose you'll be on your uppers, you'll be, you'll won't be you? You'll be strapped for cash. Given the vast amounts of revenue that Living Doll brings in every year. But then and again, he's probably gone into Fop Records and seen, you know, what I saw at Christmas, it was a 10-CD box set, right, of boogie-woogie piano tracks by Amos Milburn and people, uh, selling for £4.50. So you're, you're buying whatever that would be, 200 tracks for £4.50 in a box set. But you see, do you think that's wrong? I mean, Amos uh, Milburn's been no, dead No, so your, your question to me is, is uh, should the grandchildren of Amos Milburn be receiving a little bit of a wedge in the same way as Julian Lennon is? Well, actually, I'd make an exception to Amos Milburn. You know, he's, he's a black man who probably died in poverty. Yeah, absolutely. And therefore, I wouldn't mind his descendants making... A, a, what you're a, saying a to Julian Lennon is get up in the morning, matey, and do a day's work. I'm saying, <laughs> find me, bring to me, bring to me, to bring to me. Okay, <laughs> the offspring of a '60s, '70s, '80s rock star who is doing a day's work, as you and I would understand. Oh, so now we've got to the root of it. No, okay, there is all right. There is it's not. It's a work ethic conversation. No, fair enough. There is not one. These are the new landed aristocracy. Absolutely, they're better off than the landed aristocracy. Because they've got the, you know, they haven't got huge, great, you know. Well, they haven't got the inconvenience of having to go out and do the work to make the money in the first place. So they're, they're just, uh, yeah. You see, and I think they're the most idle, feckless, shiftless generation that's ever been seen. And they're all looking forward to participating in this uh, in this gold rush forevermore, aren't they? Because this technology is coming along all the time. And presumably, you continue to make well, more money out of it. Presumably, whatever terrific kind of um, you know um, moral strictures were put on these things in the, in the early days about what the usage of this music could be for will be relaxed quietly over the years. Whereby you know Beatles. Well, I don't think there are ever strictures. Interesting pop fact. I've got to get this off my chest, and this is the I only can place see I can that, do this. Dave. This yeah, is the only place I can do this. In the standard record contract, in the days of physical product, an LP or a CD or whatever, a band used to have to give the record company back a packaging deduction, right? So if you had an expensive sleeve, they knocked it off your money, right? Up up to what point did that carry on? Packaging deduction, okay? Now, you might think, Mark, that in the days of the internet... That in the days when this stuff just travels down phone lines as noughts and ones with no physical product and certainly no packaging, you might think, Mark, that you don't have to pay that anymore. Well, you you do do wrong. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Neil Tennant told me that recently. He said when they brought in the new deal for the, uh, you know, for for the digital stuff, Neil jokingly said to the accountant, "I suppose the packaging deduction's still in there." The accountant goes, "Yeah, it is." That's fantastic. That's how record companies do their deals. No, but I love that idea. So you've gone there with kind of whatever it is, Led Zeppelin 4 or something, and said, I'll cost you, mate. It'll be a bit extra, presumably. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. So uh, that's, uh, you've, got to, you've got to watch this, uh, watch this with interest, I think. Uh, watch this space with what's going to happen with the next, uh, the next generation of rock stars uh, taking over these vast great fortunes, sitting atop these huge amounts of money. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Okay, Mark, uh, bands, bands reforming. Favourite topic, we never get sick of this. All bands eventually reform. I never uh, get tired of this. You've been looking at it from a particular point of view. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece in, in, in Word about a, a couple of years ago, uh, advancing that theory, and I really think it's true. And my theory is that any group whose original members are still above ground, Dave, and that's the important thing, still above ground and vertical, cannot resist. I felt this strongly when I went to see the cream reform. 
at, uh, at the Royal Albert Hall, uh, which was absolutely terrific, who had not spoken to each other virtually for 34 years. You think, well, you know, you can't go to your grave without revisiting your finest hour. Because you, just out of natural curiosity, even if it's a disaster, you want to know what it's going to be like. I mean, there are obviously financial reasons too. But we've run this piece, um, well, we're about to run in the, in the issue that comes out on May the 10th. You're running this piece anyway, go on. But we're running this piece in Word, um, based around, well, uh, there's a live example, firstly, which is that the only ones, who I'm sure you fondly remember, I, I do anyway, from the late 70s, you know, Another Girl, Another Planet, etc., Pete Perrett's group, um, have finally got back together. And can these guys, I've got to tell you, have had a rough old time. Can I just point out, that yeah. at the time, at yeah. the time in 1978, they looked as if they were only clinging to life by a well, fingernail. I'm going I'm, I'm to have to show you this. I know this doesn't work to everyone on a podcast, but I'm going to show you the proof. <laughs> That's them, Dave, in the early days. That's the picture you remember. They looked pretty craggy then, didn't they? They were in their late 30s. And oh dear, oh dear. That's what they looked now. Like. <laughs> no, it's Mike Kelly out of Spooky Tooth. It looks like a seaside landlady on a <laughs> Donald McGill postcard. He does. No, they look all right, actually. But Peter Parrott looks like he only weighs about seven stone, doesn't he? It looks like Julian And Katz that's on Christmas afternoon. <laughs> when he's had a, a full lamb dinner or whatever. And he's like... Our reporter, David Sinclair, goes down to this um, basement uh, uh, rehearsal studio in Acton. And they play him three songs, which have been fantastic. This is the first time they've played together for 26 years to the word reporter. And at the end of it, Peter Perrett, the singer, um, who's had his ups and downs, obviously, and is continuing to do so with uh, the Roman jugs, um, <laughs> collapses to the floor <laughs> with the carpet rugs, uh, collapses to the floor and is just wheezing and gasping and unable physically to carry on because he just isn't quite, at this stage, fit enough to be able to play more than three songs in one go. I mean, they are reforming to this tour. I'm sure they'll be fantastic, actually. I was very fond of the old boys. It's just so uh, extraordinary that uh, so many of these groups are getting back together. So we've attached to this um, another piece about a load of other groups who could possibly get back together. They're the original members. So they're, quali- the key they're qualified is, by being alive. The key thing is the original members must be alive. So the Smiths we know, we know about and the Jam, obviously, and the Stone Roses. But ABBA, you see, it's interesting. See, once you remember that all four members of ABBA are still alive, apparently still talking to each other, Occasionally meet at social events. It can't be long before these guys. No, it's never going to happen because it's Why uh, is that? Blondie um, Agnetta just Scott. will not travel. Will she? She is just. She's perfectly amicable with the rest of them, but she. They they did this when they had when they launched Mamma Mia or whatever it was on the West End stage. She was ble- gave it her blessing and everything, but she was supposed to be there on the opening night, but she couldn't. Make herself go. Well, she won't fly. But she, I think she wouldn't fly. But so I a massive so, broadcast seri- from Stockholm is not going to happen. Can I make a serious happen? point here? And uh, I don't want to lower your scene in any <laughs> way. <laughs> right. But grisly old blokes can get away with turning up and standing by the red rope and waving to their fans and signing a bunch of autographs. Women, it's a lot harder, particularly if when you were 28 years old, your your bottom was being hymned in the public prints by everybody from Clive James to whoever wrote the bizarre column in the sun. You know doesn't stop Debbie Harry. She still looks pretty good at uh, it. Well, okay, but not all women feel the same about it. And, uh, and she probably thinks, do I wish to be paraded as I was when I was 28, 30, 35? Do I wish to be reminded of the fact that I don't look like... I looked when I was 28, 30, 35. I merely offer that, Mark. All right, well, let's, uh, let's ignore uh, ABBA and let's concentrate <laughs> instead on the Stranglers. 
Right. That's quite like all four of the Stranglers. Never well there. known for their look. The Kinks, Fleetwood Mac, the original lineup of Fleetwood Mac. Are all the Mac. Kinks alive? Oh, yeah, I think they certainly are. What, yeah. Pete Quaif, Mick Avery? Yeah, they're all the, the original four. Sly and the Family Stone. Astonishing. Sly and the Family Stone. There is no are justice if they're all still alive. So that must be uh, an indication that taking huge quantities of drugs and Medi- drinking and living on a very bad diet. Medicine counts for nothing. Medicine counts for nothing. Astonishing. Is still alive. Greg Ekio, Freddie Stone, Eric Graham. Eric, Larry Graham. Eric Larry yeah, Graham yeah. on the base. Jerry Martini, all alive is the point. Sly Stone, I think, in the best of health, but there we are. Oh, he's mad as a box of frogs. Mad as a ladder, I believe, yeah. <laughs> mad as a lorry. As a lorry. <laughs> mad as a badger. <laughs> He's mad at all these things put together, times two. <laughs> That's how mad he is. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Pavement. Slade. Dire Straits. You see, why won't Dire Straits get back together? Oh, I, I, I think I, it's highly unlikely they won't. I'll tell, tell you why they won't get back together again. Because Mark Knopfler and his brother, David, it's, it's not the happiest relationship, I don't think. There are many other bands who and have unhappy uh, relationships, but they seem to be able to put them aside. John, I got a press release step out only the, the other day. Arena. I got a press release only the other day pointing out that John Ilsley, who was the, the bass tall player. bass player yeah, yeah. of Dire Straits when they were utterly planet-bestriding huge, uh, is about to, and uh, you might want to make a note in your diary, uh, he's about to have an exhibition of his paintings in London's swinging West End. <laughs> Quite soon. I can and tell by the slightly narrow and appraising <laughs> glance that you're giving me that you will not be attending this great And I'm asking you, <laughs> I'm asking you, Mark Allen, if, uh, if to imagine what it could be that uh, John Ilsley chooses as his favourite subject to paint. Oh, you know the answer. I know the answer, and you're going to go on. cacti. No. Um, old soup tin. No. No. Um, birds of Eastern Europe. No. Oh, am I even warm? What do rock stars always draw or paint? Well, they usually paint. Well, if you talk about Ronnie Wood, what they tend to paint is other rock stars. But no, no, it wasn't that. No. no, guitars. Oh my God! They did that, don't they? Bless them, guitars. <laughs> Just still life, though, isn't it? I mean, it's like you know, you don't go down. For me, it would have done the same, David. If a Les Paul had been propped up, they would have. The girl with the pearl earring. Sorry, Actually, down the door, Carla. We don't need you today. To be fair, didn't I've got Vermeer, Les Paul. Didn't Vermeer do a guitar or two? I think he probably actually, did. Actually, and irritating me. And I, <laughs> it's, it's, they weren't actually guitars, but he played. There was a man playing a lute. There were stringed was instruments. Yeah, all right, okay, and, all right. Uh, and I think Picasso did the same thing. Yeah, didn't all right, he? fifteen points. So, but, but moving on. But so, so, so what you're saying is, thinks I'm working in a grand tradition. Yeah, it's my cubist period. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they're all being exhibited uh, quite soon. So I shall. I should send you the full details of that. Excellent. And uh, maybe Mark Knopfler will come along and they'll all get back together again. And I think it's highly likely. Anyway, my, my words. All right, Abba, we'll, we'll see. They're getting long, long odds on that. So I, 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 I spoke to Crowded House recently, who've got back together again. Yeah. And, uh, and Neil Finn and Nick Seymour, they're, they're very, very keen to have it known that they are together properly. Not just together, we're doing an album, we're doing a few shows. All right, they're back it's, together permanently. Yeah. It's kind of they've completely relinked up, and uh, and you know we're we're in this for the long run. So that's, that's interesting, good, that's good isn't news, it? Yeah, and it, because to them it's very very important, and it's their way of drawing attention to the fact that ninety nine percent of fans who do it are just doing it for you know a couple of gigs and you know get the advance to four four new numbers yeah, on the great. No, I think that's very and, honest. But um, of course they're showing playing, integrity. They're playing Coachella in uh, California. Alongside, oh, I've forgotten who the other bands are. Jesus and Mary Chain, 
and oh god, Rage recall, Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. And somebody at Coachella is a bloody genius who's come up with this idea that you know, because you've got all these festivals all competing for a, you know quite a small pool of. So is that their talent. USP that well, they? It reform? sounds to me. It's a really clever idea. They get a band and say, if you haven't played together for years, why not play together at our festival? Which they were going to do at Cocktail Twins last year, wasn't it? And, and as long as you do it with us first, we've got an exclusive. It's yeah. a very clever idea. Yeah. And so, you know, Crown of the House, Rage Against the Machine, whoever, even the Jesus of Mary Jane, they'll have hardcore fans nowadays will travel from all over the world. Coachella 2008, to ABBA... Uh, Verve, well, you, you should, Hulk, and the Dead Kennedys. You and should send that down the line. Happy days. And, uh, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, and see if they'll bite. But I thought, God, that's a clever idea. You know, because that's the future of festivals, isn't it? It is. Coming up with, uh, with new spins on, uh, on things that have been done before. And don't forget, if you haven't already done it, to get your tickets for... Uh, Cornbury Festival. Cornbury. Come and join us. The uh, word-sponsored Cornbury Music Festival, which is a terrific event. You always say word-sponsored as if we put some money in. No, but it sounds really good, Dave. <laughs> we haven't put any money. <laughs> we've got money to spoil Word sponsored sounds like we're just a massive kind of corporation that's just sponsoring things so in an immensely generous and tax beneficial way. And at this In fact, point we just turn up, don't we, really, with a little flag saying word. <laughs> so can we have this tent and put all our favourite bands on, please? Sing lofty. Sing lofty, yes. <laughs> the Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast. A way of life. So, anyway, at this point in the, in, in the program, uh, program, podcast, whatever, uh, in response to massive public demand, um, people have been in touch via fax, email, text, internet, cleft stick, absolutely everything, and saying, can you get... Mark Ellen. Oh, God! To tell <laughs> the story. I couldn't see where this was going, actually. <laughs> to to no. tell the story of Elton John's birthday party. Oh, right, okay, okay. Allegedly. Well, if I can remember it, allegedly. I've used the word and it's time for the horrid rock, rock yeah. anecdote. Yeah. Over to you, Mark. Uh, at this point, really, I, I should be... Uh, it's like the, you know, the fireside speech. I, sh- I should be throwing a kind of log on a fire here, don't you think? Absolutely. The sound of a purring cat. Maybe crumpets cooking. <laughs> A crackling log. I'll just do that. <laughs> anyway, I'll just do that. No, David asked me about this. I don't know, I've forgotten all about it. But you know when you, you hear those stories in, in, in rock and roll that, that may be true? And I think people's desire for them to be true is so great that any, any attempts to kind of refute them just eventually just melt away. They're just plain wrong. They're Come plain on. wrong. And Elton John has, I think, in, in the past... Had this story told him, and has not denied it, David. Do El- you know why not? Because it's just such a great. El- Elton is bright enough not to deny yeah. this one, isn't it? It's like it's like Keith and his dad's ashes. Do you know, let's just keep it all going. But actually, I like to think this is true because in the 1970s, um, you know, when rock and roll clearly had a lot of uh, money in its back pocket and uh, was operated mostly by people with huge stately homes, like Blanding's Castle somewhere in the Southern Counties. Uh, at one of these things, El- probably one of Elton's houses, Elton held a dinner party, supposedly, right? Birthday party. It was a birthday party. It was a birthday party. And uh, it was mid-afternoon, and, uh, you know, everyone was uh, dining on various courses, and attractive waiters were uh, topping up their balloon glasses of fine Napoleon brandy. Please note, waiters. <laughs> waiters, right, yeah. And Elton had, promised, theme may Elton be had allegedly promised entertainment 
after you know, which they, they, they imagined that the Paul Merton du jour would probably get up and tell a few hilarious anecdotes, possibly hoping not. But no, the vast velvet drapes were pulled aside and the French they, windows opened. They, they, and open, they open, can I make the sound of yeah, the opening? It's gone. Yeah, yeah go on, I like <laughs> Somebody pressed a button under the table. <laughs> <That's laughs> James Bond is. Elton kind of tapped his glass. That's uh, right. Asked for attention. Pressed a button hidden under the table and they went. Do you remember that fantastic uh, film about rock and roll? Was it called Strange Fruit? You know the one. I've never with, seen that with one. Billy Connolly and everything. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Bill Nye plays this rock star who's he's brilliant. He gets all his remote controls mixed up. He's trying to open the curtains. He's got a rock star's mansion, <laughs> and it just turns on ITV. He's <laughs> <laughs> really, really pissed off. But anyway, so Elton's curtains uh, purr gently, almost soundlessly apart, and, and everybody grrr. turns their attention. and everyone turns around, and the the, uh, the flunkies throw open the, the French windows to to the wonderful vista, which I would imagine probably was a rolling lawn. But it was dark at this point. Though. It was in, I don't think it because was. Because he actually. pressed another button. <laughs> was it dark? I don't think it was. He pressed another button. I think button. we defeat my story if it was to dark. Illuminate the lawn. Oh, all right, well, you got let's okay. say it's, let's say it's all right, it's okay. Illuminate the lawn. Mercifully, it was also a, a cloudless sky and a full moon. <laughs> because what they saw was, you know, in the distance, obviously. They heard. They heard. They heard. They heard. Well, McAllister, the gardener, was just putting the final touches to a bit of trimming of a herbaceous. Well, I said, McAllister, you won't enjoy what's going to come now, old boy. Go back home to the missus and have your supper. Your supper's waiting. Anyway, scrotum. Scrotum the wrinkle retainer. Which is also there, actually. Digging up some parsnips. They say, scrotum, leave it. Just leave it, mate. Go home. <laughs> it's the same. We're having the afternoon entertainment. At which point he broke into a run. And <laughs> showed a clean pair of heels. Anyway, in the distance, they heard another sound, which was uh, even above the sound of the, of, of the purring curtains. My oh God, how extraordinary. You can hear it outside. Can you hear that? <laughs> outside the sound of an aeroplane going by. <laughs> our Islington loft. Our Islington era. It was, indeed, the sound of an aeroplane. That's synchronicity. A light aeroplane. A light aircraft. They looked up, and uh, let's say some super troopers now have been beamed up <laughs> into the sky. <laughs> and whoo, that's the sound of super troopers. And out of the aeroplane come these small dots. They're like flowers. Almost, they're like little flowers. flowers. They're like flowers. Nobody has a clue what they are, and it's fairly obvious eventually that they are indeed parachutes blossoming into life, one after another. But dangling from the end of the parachutes appear to be individuals wearing absolutely no clothes. <laughs> and as they get nearer, those individuals are undeniably male. <laughs> <laughs> one by one, they tumble gracefully, prettily, to the to the tundra, the soft tundra that uh, McAllister has only recently been watering, and uh, and have only just got time to, <laughs> to take off the leather harnesses from their tundra. Oh, the and harness. the harnesses! And uh, and skip prettily into the rhododendron bushes, pursued by elder dinner guests. <laughs> Now, I know what you're going to ask me. Is it, I think it probably, let's say it is, Dave, because that's a story I've heard a billion times. Elton, I interviewed Elton myself in a, fabulously in the, in, the, in the 13th floor suite of the Caesars, Caesars Palace in Las Vegas two years ago. I didn't put that story to him, but various others. And I don't think he would have denied it, because Elton's got more sense than to try and pretend that he didn't live a fabulously exotic and highly decadent and extremely naughty life. And didn't finish most uh, dinners, to be honest, with a load of uh, attractive young models parachuted into his garden and being pursued energetically by some, by some enthusiastic homosexuals. <laughs> and I think mean, I, I thoroughly approved the whole thing. His El- first rate. El- God bless the old boy. God bless your mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all from us. That's all from us. <laughs> Wordmagazine.co.uk. Podcasts at Wordmagazine.co.uk. Dot UK. We'll be back next week.
Cheers. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.